Welcome to Fast Company Digest, essential stories from tech, design, impact, and work life narrated by NOAA app. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor and host of the New Way We Work podcast, Kathleen Davis. Here are this week's stories. First, introducing a new productivity trend called Monk Mode, a more mindful approach to work where you break free from the digital noise. Here's how anyone can implement it into their day. Narrated by Noah. Listen to more of the world's best journalism on the NOAA app or at newsoveraudio.com. For NOAA, this is Sam Scholl reading from Vast Company, where on the 15th of September 2023, Akash Shah writes, Monk mode is the new productivity trend to improve your attention span. Monk mode is a new productivity trend that promises to help with an increasingly common scenario. Surrounded by a sea of screens, you're caught in a whirlwind of distractions. Slack's knock-knock fills you with dread. Your inbox overflows with unread emails. You frantically task-switch as your productivity crumbles under the weight of digital chaos. If this sounds like you, you are not alone. Between incessant notifications and our bias for short-term entertainment, many of us feel our attention spans are getting shorter. Fortunately, there are steps we can take to increase our ability to focus. One trick is something that social media users call monk mode, and I believe it may be able to serve as a tool to fight off this curse of the TikTok brain. Monk mode is a productivity approach inspired by the disciplined lifestyle of monks. Its origins trace back to the secluded monastic life, where monks dedicate themselves to deep reflection, meditation, and study. In today's fast-paced world, monk mode has been adapted as a strategy to help individuals reclaim their focus and mental clarity amid constant distractions. Proponents argue that by channeling the same principles that guided monks of various faiths for centuries, mindfulness, minimalism, and dedication to purposeful work, Monk Mode empowers individuals to break free from the digital noise and rediscover their ability to concentrate on what truly matters. Supporters say it is a transformative approach that encourages people to step back from the chaos of modern life and cultivate a more meaningful relationship with their work and themselves. Simply put, Monk Mode is committing to a goal without distractions. Monk mode is giving yourself the permission to ignore everything but the task you've chosen to single-mindedly pursue. Here's how you can implement it into your work and your life. As a founder, angel investor, and startup advisor, I have found that dedicating the first few hours of each morning to monk mode can help you create a powerful foundation for the day, allowing you to tackle your most important tasks with renewed focus and energy. I cherish my mornings as a sacred time of peace and purpose. This quiet atmosphere is perfectly paired with a warm cup of coffee, providing me the energy to set the momentum for a productive day. So, as you take that first sip of your morning coffee, I recommend that you embrace the serenity and seize the opportunity to enter monk mode. Dedicate this precious time to deep, uninterrupted work. Far from the grasp of buzzing phones and overflowing inboxes, capitalizing on your heightened energy levels and reaping the rewards of accomplishing meaningful tasks early in the day. Here are some tactics to implement monk mode into your mornings. Block off time on your calendar for uninterrupted work. Clear your workspace, 
Use noise-canceling headphones or white noise to block distractions. Commit to not checking any notifications and set a timer and silence your phone. In the high-pressure world of entrepreneurship, founders and CEOs face a unique set of challenges that require unwavering focus and commitment. By integrating monk mode into their daily routines, I believe leaders can unlock new levels of productivity, creativity, and mental clarity. Here's how I recommend workers, executives, and entrepreneurs implement monk mode mornings. First, dedicate time for deep work. Scheduling monk mode mornings and treating them as non-negotiable appointments ensures you have dedicated time to work on your most critical tasks without interruption. Next, prioritize strategic decision-making. Use the uninterrupted time in monk mode to analyze data, set goals, and make informed decisions that will impact your company's growth and direction. You should also make space for creative problem-solving. Allow yourself the mental space to brainstorm innovative solutions for challenges faced by your organization without the pressure of constant distractions. Fourth, hone leadership skills. Dedicate time during monk mode mornings to study leadership principles, read about successful entrepreneurs, or reflect on feedback from team members to continually grow as an effective leader. Fifth, visualize long-term. Take advantage of the quiet early hours to envision the future of your company and outline strategic plans for expansion, partnerships, or product development. And finally, consider delegation. Combine the piece of monk mode with the Eisenhower matrix to delegate your tasks and reach inbox zero, clearing up your time for more important tasks. In the age of endless distractions, monk mode mornings offer a much-needed respite to reclaim focus and productivity. I believe that by embracing the focus of monks, we can regain control over our lives and build healthier work habits. As you rise each day, remember that your time is sacred. Protect it fiercely and harness the power of monk mode to conquer the TikTok brain once and for all. You are listening to Fast Company, where Akash Shah writes, Monk mode is the new productivity trend to improve your attention span. This article was published on the 15th of September, 2023, and was read by Sam Scholl for Noah. And next, from the rise of canned cocktails to the death of the downtown happy hour, the lingering effects of the pandemic have changed the way Americans drink. For Noah, this is Sam Scholl reading from Fast Company. We're on the 15th of September, 2023. Mickey Lyons writes, This is how COVID-19 changed the way Americans drink. If the entire wild ride that has been the spirits industry since March 2020 could be summed up in three letters, it would be RTD, ready to drink. That's the general term for the meteorically rising category that includes spirits-based canned cocktails. Sales of RTDs grew between one and a half and three times faster than other alcohol sales between 2020 and 2021, an impressive feat considering how much more Americans drank in general during the pandemic. The National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism reported a 39% increase in alcohol consumption, measured in drinks per month between February 2020 and November 2020, with a 30% spike in binge drinking. And although our drinking has slowed a bit since the early COVID-19 days, some of the pandemic-era shifts might prove permanent. 
From the rise of the canned cocktail to the death of the downtown happy hour, to how a cork shortage in Portugal might affect what you drink, the lingering effects of lockdown have shown up in some interesting ways. Adil Yamin is the Michigan district manager for William Grant & Sons, which distributes a wide range of premium spirits. Take a bottle of Glenfiddich, he says. There's no other bottle like it. The bottle's distinctive smooth, three-sided shape, made of green glass and bearing a stylized stag on each bottle, is custom-produced and requires special molds that would cost more than a million dollars to replace. Pandemic labor shortages, raw glass material shortages, shipping catastrophes, and other supply chain issues meant that Glenfiddich, like many other easily recognized alcohol brands, became increasingly difficult to source. The logistical difficulties of sourcing glass, then cork, then plastic, and even wood for spirits packaging, left many producers scrambling during the pandemic. For Yamin and other spirits representatives, just getting a bottle into the hands of an eager consumer was a Herculean task. For the last three years, he says, we're bottling to catch up, or we're barreling to catch up for what COVID-19 did to our supply. The increased demand for premium spirits, also known as premiumization, might continue causing problems as distillers can't simply open the faucet and produce more 18-year-old scotch or 6-year-old rye. If they could open the taps and pour out ultra-premium spirits, there is certainly a market for them. Americans are buying distilled spirits as compared to beer and wine in record numbers. The Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, Discus, issues an annual luxury brand index. From 2020 to 2021, sales of luxury brands defined as bottles costing more than $50 increased by 43%. The following year, sales crept up by a modest 4%. But for the first time ever, spirits revenue outstripped beer revenue. For Carlos Zapeta, SVP of Consumer Connections, Insights, and Strategy at Moet Hennessy USA, the premiumization trend makes sense. Champagne historically was associated with a very special moment, he says, like a promotion or a wedding. During the pandemic, though, consumers had a why-not-now mindset through this appreciation of the small things that we all went through. Many Americans, he says, Use disposable income from federal stimulus checks to explore new luxury spirits like Veuve Clicquot. From a luxury standpoint, says Zepeda, people really started to appreciate the small moments that were luxurious that were created at home. The big win is that there was a lot of discovery. There were a lot of new users. And it's hard to go back once you try the good stuff. Along with the rise in premium spirits, drink mixers are seeing a trend toward higher quality. Brands like Dirty Sioux, which makes premium olive juice for martinis, and East Imperial, which produces high-end tonic water infused with ingredients like yuzu and grapefruit, are on the rise as consumers look to perfect their home cocktails. Pairing premium spirits with the RTD craze has allowed revelers to enjoy canned cocktails just about anywhere. Discus reported that from 2019 to 2020, sales of RTDs grew by 125.8%. From 2020 to 2021, sales increased by another 42%. By 2022, canned cocktails accounted for 12% of all U.S. alcoholic beverage purchases, more than all wine purchases. Go-to drinks during the pandemic helped bars stay afloat. Many bars developed their own signature cocktails and lobbied for updated liquor laws to allow for carry-out drinks. These updated liquor laws also included social districts in many cities, 
where people can gather outside and carry alcoholic beverages within a designated area. In 2022, Michigan legislators opted to make the social district allowances permanent, and other states like Minnesota and North Carolina have enacted new laws allowing for social districts. Brandon Lieb is the VP of Marketing for Spirits of Gallo, which holds a diverse portfolio of lower alcohol spirits, including another trending category, aperitivos. Lieb sees a shift in not just what we drink, but when we drink it. The biggest adjustment is that the occasion has been broadened, he says. From a cocktail standpoint, a night out with friends or at home with friends was primarily the drinking occasion. But now, he says, people are more likely to bring a canned cocktail out to the park or the beach for a mid-afternoon gathering or to hang out with friends. The lines have blurred in a way where there are occasions where portability matters, he says. Hence the rise of lower alcohol drinks, like apparel spirits or the Negroni Spagliato, both of which became popular on social media in recent years. If you're going to a patio and drinking in the afternoon, says Lieb, there is an opportunity to better manage your alcohol intake throughout the course of the day with a lower-proof drink. It's a concept sometimes called damp drinking, conscious consumption of just one or two drinks or drinks with less alcohol, to foster wellness and prolong social mingling. It's not that people are avoiding bars entirely since the pandemic, say industry insiders. It's more a matter of what they're looking for when they make it out to the bar. Julia Petropin owns two bars in Cincinnati, Homemaker's Bar and 5050 Gin Club. Since reopening post-pandemic, she's seen more larger groups, but also notes that they're more interested in the creature comforts. Since everybody got comfortable and made these home spaces, she says, they spent money on their homes and got them really nice. This ultimately translated, as she sees it, to fewer nights out in general. Another shift that Petropin has seen is that people sort of migrate more to neighborhoods versus downtowns. The data backs up her observation. A March 2023 study of the 10 largest U.S. real estate markets, 52% of office space is currently unoccupied. That means far fewer happy hour customers for downtown bars. Happy hour isn't dead, though. It's just moved back to the neighborhood, says T. Cole Newton, who owns two neighborhood bars in New Orleans. At his bar's 12-mile limit and the domino, he says people are approaching happy hour a different way that is like, hey, I've been working all day by myself. I need to go out and be around people. I'm going to go to the bar in my neighborhood. The move away from downtown bars isn't just about customers. Staff, says Newton, are also flocking away from the tourist-heavy bar districts in search of a better work-life balance. Newton also serves as president of the U.S. Bartenders Guild, a professional organization that offers resources to members of the bar industry. A lot of legacy businesses are having trouble hiring right now, he says, and I think it's probably because they're trying to impose those same kind of mandates on staff, like mandatory overtime, dress codes, and longer shifts to make up for missing workers. Since many longtime bartenders took the pandemic downtime as a chance to reset their priorities, with many leaving the industry for good, a labor shortage allows the remaining bartenders to choose their employers. There's been a fundamental realignment in the relationship between labor and ownership, specifically in hospitality, because of how exposed hospitality workers were and how poorly they were often treated by both management and customers during the pandemic, says Newton. The places that are willing to treat them with a modicum of respect are doing pretty well. Although there is very little bar-specific data, more than one in ten restaurants never reopened after the pandemic shutdowns. 
About 70,000 never came back after grappling with supply chain chaos, staff shortages, inflation, and more. The changes brought on by the pandemic may or may not be here to stay, but owners like Newton and Petropin are willing to tough it out. It's too early to tell which changes will last, but Petropin has noticed one quirk in her customers that's a direct result of our habits, formed by social distancing. Before the pandemic, says Petropin, you used to just go to the bar at any place to order. And now you just see these lines forming. People will actually get a little perturbed if you don't line up in one place. You were listening to Fast Company, where Mickey Lyons writes, This is how COVID-19 changed the way Americans drink. This article was published on the 15th of September, 2023, and was read by Sam Scholl for NOAA.